Today's episode is brought to you by Alexandra Park BJJ. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a full contact martial art and combat sport that was developed in Brazil in the 20th century. With roots in Judo and Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, has been developed and refined into a unique grappling art with the aim to allow a smaller and weaker individual to beat a bigger and stronger opponent with the application of proper technique. Based in Muswell Hill, North London, Alexandra Park BJJ's classes are designed so that you can develop your fitness levels, balance, coordination and flexibility in a no-pressure environment and to provide the opportunity to start a new sport at a reasonable price. At Alexandra Park BJJ, we aim to be inclusive so that everyone can benefit from this incredible art, not just the athletic or ultra-competitive. To book your free class, head over to alexandraparkbjj.co.uk or email inquiries at alexandraparkbjj.co.uk. Welcome to Audiobookish, an audiobook review and discussion podcast looking at audiobooks both big and small, as well as radio plays, narrative podcasts, anything audiobook-ish. This podcast may contain spoilers, rants, curse words, mispronunciations of names and places, and more. Hello everyone, you're listening to Audiobookish. My name's Fahed Rahman and I'm joined by Poppy Knight. Hello. And this episode is the second in our series of special episodes reviewing titles on the shortlist for Book of the Year audiobook nonfiction for the British Book Awards. We're going to be discussing two titles, A Visible Man by Edward Ennefel and Ten Steps to Nanette. A memoir situation by Hannah Gatsby. We're going to start off the discussion by discussing A Visible Man by Edward Ennefel, and I will read out the blurb to that one. Edward Ennefel has lived an extraordinary life. Here, for the first time, he shares the remarkable, inspiring story of his journey from a childhood bedroom in Ghana, overlooking firing squads, to 1990s London, becoming the youngest ever fashion director of ID magazine at just 18 years old. Now the first black editor-in-chief of British Vogue, he has created game-changing images of everyone from Beyonce to Meghan Markle, Kate Moss to Oprah Winfrey, Adele to Rihanna and many more stars he now counts as friends. A Visible Man is the story of a husband, son, brother, friend and icon, taking us from the neon frills of Soho clubs to nights spent on friends' sofas, this is the story of Edward's phenomenal grit and determination, of failures, loss, coming out, joy, hedonism, fame, love, heartbreak, sacrifice, ill health, irredefining achievements. It's the story of one man's revolutionary mission to change how we see the world, showing how unwavering passion and perseverance can allow anyone to make their mark, just like he did. So. One of the things I wanted to kind of note about this one, most of Mm -hmm. the other books that we are discussing are available through a variety of different distributors. Edward's Mm -hmm. autobiography, the audiobook version at least, is an Audible exclusive. So if you want to listen to this, you'll need to kind of like download Audible and buy credits or download it through um, the, the membership system. I think I managed to get it on iTunes. So I think it ended up slightly cheaper that way, or at least with not doing it credits wise, um, slightly cheaper that way. But yeah, it is harder to get hold of than some of the others here. Yeah, sure. So just wanted to kind of make everyone aware of that. So when we were kind of discussing how to pair the books that we were discussing, Mm. we didn't know which one to pair Edwards with. um, And we kind of felt that the two actor biographies that we're going to be doing in the next episode kind of fit quite nicely together. Mm-hmm. And strangely, I think Edward's and Hannah's biographies have got a lot of similarities, yeah. mm. both in terms of the way that kind of structured and in terms of the similar themes that they yeah. talk about. Um, one of the things I found quite interesting was how they both tried to set out a mission statement of what the mm. author wanted to do uh, when Edward is talking initially to his friends about writing this biography i think one of his friends mentioned well you need to make sure that you want to highlight how this is like 
a hopeful story and an inspiring story instead of kind of focusing on what could be kind of a story about how shit the world is hmm. I suppose so um how did you kind of um feel about that yeah, so I think overall it is quite a hopeful story and I think there's a lot of success in there and the main thing that I took away from this book that I don't really think that blurb shows well enough is how it's been Edward's mission through the work that he's done with fashion of um, diversifying the industry and showing people of different races, different body types, different abilities, different identities, anyone who who's felt othered, I think is one of the phrases that he uses but really just not showing one very narrow view that I think fashion certainly has been. And I think that was kind of the big takeaway from this is how he really has made waves in that world and that those waves have reflected into other industries, other medias, and also just society as a whole. So yeah, I thought that was really interesting, but tying it with what you said there about like, yeah, how shit the world is kind of thing, I found it really interesting going through this how there was like a real shift between stuff that was you know before my time to wait a minute that was like not very long ago and I felt that was just kind of a shift in general but also specifically talking about these sorts of things talking about how there was still so much resistance to black women on the cover of magazines for example really not being that long ago and I thought tonally it was sort of and just content wise it was sort of a mix of it was really quite sad to be you know confronted with how recent that was but also quite optimistic in the fact that no things aren't perfect now but we have come on a long way since not very long ago so yeah that was sort of the tone that I ended up getting of the book I do think it's quite a a hopeful book and it's showing some great progress and some great achievement both kind of personal achievement and yeah bigger wider industry society sort of achievement and progress um how about you yeah i I think i'd agree with that i kind of i was a bit apprehensive kind of approaching listening to this book because like i know next to nothing about the world Mm. of fashion um it's not really not really my wheelhouse um Mm -hmm. at all but the way kind of edward brings you into his story and the kind of the, the things that i certainly related to was kind of you know his upbringing in Ghana how he kind of starts off with you know how his parents raised him in kind of di- different roles that his mum and dad played mm-hmm. in his life that's something I certainly could relate to that's I wouldn't say my dad was as bad as like Edward's dad but there's definitely certainly you know in my personal experience kind of like when dad got home kind of playtime was a little bit over right. needed to kind of quiet down a little bit so that's something I definitely understood and then also the other bits of his story that I kind of was able to relate to and was able to kind of bring me in to the you know the latest stuff which is about fashion was this is really like an immigrant's story kind of um mm-hmm. uh, one of the things I found really fascinating was how Edward discusses the difference between black people coming from Africa and then black people who've got like a Caribbean background yeah. I found that really fascinating how you know the way that he views it is that black people from africa they've got this innate kind of self-belief because they they were brought up in a country where there was lots of people that looked like them and they were kind of they're expecting success of themselves where people from the caribbean have got all this generation trauma to deal with um i found that fascinating How, how about how about you yeah, I did as well. But also, if you found that interesting in this book, then Gina Yashere's Cat Candid discusses that quite a bit as well. So yeah, a recommendation there if that's something that you pull from this book. And as well, kind of connected with that, Edward sort of talks about racial tensions being different as someone who grew up in Africa versus a black person who grew up in the UK. Yeah. Um, and, and the differences there with how yeah race was seen, how he was treated as a black man and also how he saw white people and things like that. That was all quite interesting stuff about it. Yeah. Yeah. And even though like, he's not that much older than me, I don't think that there is the kind of like a generational gap. So I think like Edwards, probably in my older brother's kind of generation where there was right. more kind of like, because he talks about how racism changes a lot, mm, kind of like mm-hmm. when he's growing up, there was more kind of overt, outward racism. And nowadays he kind of discusses how like, racism is systemic. And uh, again, I kind of referred to um, this comedian in the past, Patrice O'Neill. The way he Patrice O'Neill describes it is like 
this racism, this shit we can't see, but we know exists. And he talks a lot, a lot about that as well, kind of a little bit later on in the book. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's, yeah, connected with what we we're saying about this, you know, his mission for diversity in fashion and stuff. It's the fact that so many, um, you know, shows just had white models. The kind of thing of being brunette or redhead was just considered diversity in a lot of shows and magazines and stuff like that and so yeah it, that's the kind of thing where it's not outright saying something explicitly racist but it is racist in its exclusionary nature that i think is a really important point that he makes one quote that i absolutely loved from this book was he was talking about him putting forward a suggestion for the kind of models to use and I think at this point or at least somewhere else in the book and it's definitely relevant he's talking about the fact that you know if there were kind of shoots that were sort of about being set in Africa you'd have the idea that these white models had gone to Africa and there would be people in the background with darker skin, but that's not who the picture was of and and all sorts of various things like that. And that some people seem to think that that counted as being representative. But yeah, but this quote was like, this is one of the many reasons why diverse perspectives are so crucial on a staff. Without varied points of view, at best you're limiting yourself creatively. At worst, you're creating work that belittles, offends, and does far more harm than good. And I think that's something that has been spoken about more in general, but it's the idea that diverse staffing is so important and why it's not just about not discriminating against people, but when you look at your entire staff and you see that they all look the same, they all are the same ethnicity, they're all the same background, they're none of them disabled, they're all cis and straight, various things like that, you're then not getting a perspective. And certainly in creative industries, so fashion as an example, that means the first of these points, you're limiting yourself creatively. All of your staff are only coming up with things from one point of view. Obviously, yes, everyone's individual, everyone has different points of view, but there are a lot of points of view that aren't being brought into the creative process and then yeah worse there'll be things that will be said that will be done that everyone at the company thinks is okay that you don't realize without someone in your staff going um there may be an issue with that what kind of harm it could do um and so maybe something about that will be like accessibility you know potentially no one in your company will consider an event for example not being accessible if there's no one there to offer that other perspective. So yeah, I thought that was a really important quote. Yeah. So one of the big themes that comes through in the book for me was the theme of trying to be true to yourself. So mm-hmm. Edward, he kind of describes his relationship with his brothers. Um, he kind of speaks in glowing terms about all his family members, really. And he discusses how his dad encouraged them to be kind of like quite uh, macho and masculine and mm. Edward always kind of felt you know growing up more drawn to his mother's creative pursuits and he speaks a lot in great detail about how he learned all the skills that enabled him to have the career he now has from his mother because his mother's yeah. uh, was a, a dressmaker in Ghana and she quite successful dressmaker kind of was making outfits and stuff like that for politicians and politicians wives mm-hmm. uh, and that sort of thing and how he's always kind of more drawn to that than the more academic or kind of like uh, macho pursuits that his father was kind of encouraging all his children towards kind of and that theme runs up all the way until his teenage years where academic achievement was important to his family and there was like a lot of pressure being put on him to kind of become an accountant or a doctor or something like this which is again something coming from a Southeast Asian background is something that's very familiar to me as well. How did you kind of relate to the, firstly, that internal struggle of like wanting to pursue your own passions, but also familial pressure that kind of like, we want you to be safe and secure and have a steady living as well? I think for me, it wasn't my experience because my mum has always been so kind of follow your dreams and don't let things hold you back way and always taught us to be responsible financially. But the, the idea of, yeah, but that might not be a stable living should never be holding us back. And so that's something that I'm extremely grateful for because, yeah, it was such a big thing in my life such an important thing in my life that my mum was always very much kind of whatever your passions are you should go for it rather than regretting it kind of thing so yeah I can't necessarily say that I identify with that part of it however his mum in general and the love that he had 
with her. Yeah, I think identify with is certainly one word, but another is just that I was really moved by it in the book. And yeah, she seemed fabulous and the connection that they had seems wonderful. And yeah, her love for him and those passages were really moving. As well as, yes, this fact of literally his passion in clothes and fashion and women's fashion, particularly and textiles and all sorts of stuff like that, coming from his mum, who's obviously so passionate about it, as well as literally the practical experience of him helping her out with stuff um, was also really cool to see where that came from and yeah how a lot of his other siblings went into kind of uh, that sort of fashion space as well at least for a time I thought was really good you could tell that she was such a, a wonderful woman and yeah I really liked the sections that involved her and then yeah I liked that even though she wasn't necessarily straight on with the yes you know go and do the modeling for example you know needed some conjoling on it I really liked that still he was following his passion and being true to that and it wasn't that he couldn't do the academic stuff as he was saying he was being quite successful with that but it wasn't what he wanted to do whereas he was seeing this other world and this fashion world that he could get into that he was absolutely loving that he just wanted to put his heart and soul into and he stuck to that and that was great yeah um, and I agree with that. And then kind of the middle section of the book kind of talks about basically this roller coaster, almost success story that he has being appointed the fashion editor for ID and then all these, you know, other jobs that come off based off that. And one of the things that he makes really clear is how hard he worked and how yeah. that hard work was really detrimental to his health. Because one of the other things that really struck me in the book was his kind of work ethic and the fact that he's not a well, he's got lots of health conditions. You know, he's got, um, I think he said he's got sickle cell. He's mm-hmm. got a uh, phalamacia. Later on in the book, there's quite a lot of time discussed about him potentially losing his eyesight. He talks about his problems controlling his weight as well and joint pains and stuff that he, he has and how, because of how hard he worked, it kind of exacerbated his health conditions. And when his health conditions mm-hmm. were exacerbated, he's always conscious of like not being labeled as being lazy. And stuff like that, because if you're the only black person in the industry and you're viewed as lazy, that kind of like carries uh, connotations to other people that might be looking to enter that industry as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right to say kind of rollercoaster success because it is a very successful career. But he also does put in there kind of the yeah the struggles and the barriers he came across, the stuff where it kind of felt like it wasn't coming soon enough kind of stuff even though a lot of stuff had come very early on but not in a resentful way just in a kind of you know not taking for granted all the success you know and I do think has also been quite clear about how he was always learning and always developing you know it wasn't and just I was like looking a, for the next thing not looking backwards right what's the next thing what's the next new thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, but very much about kind of the importance of keeping your eyes and your ears open and learning from other people it was never like an even you know when his role at ID from quite young was really quite a high up position, but it was never like, okay, I know everything now. You know, it was always learning more and developing more and stuff, which was great. So yeah, it, it was an interesting bit of, of success, but also showing, you know, um, the hard work that went behind it, the humility that went behind it, the way that you can make that happen, as well as, yes, some of the barriers that included other people's prejudices around him being on certain jobs and and various things like that. But yes, then the health things as well. One thing I did want to mention, kind of as a comparison with what we discussed about with menopausing, where Davina really consciously said, like, I got this help because of private and I hate that I had to go private and what I want to do with this book is make it so that no one should need to and it can all be on the NHS. I think it was very clear in this one that, yeah, once he'd reached that height, it meant that he could access private healthcare, he could access the absolute, you know, specialists in kind of the area that he was affected by, though not even just by his money, also by his connections of someone else being, oh, that's my eye doctor. And I just think, yeah, it is really upsetting. Okay, it is great that you've managed to get that treatment, but so many people won't have. (laughs) You nearly didn't if you didn't know that one person, you know, which was quite a worrying thing to hear about yeah and yeah as a direct comparison or yes similarity to i guess but presented in a very different way to the menopausing stuff about how yeah that medical access just isn't consistent in the country where it really needs to be yeah so i've kind of discussed all the positive points that i wanted to bring up are there any more points you want to discuss before i go into like the criticisms i've got of the book yeah i i did just kind of want to mention how um 
I don't know if this is necessarily positive or a criticism, but like you, I am not in the fashion-y space. That is not something that I have much of an interest in. I didn't really know who Edward Enninful was. I don't I've never read the magazines. Before, yeah. 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 It's not a world that I have anything to do with really. And I'll be honest, there was a bit of a section in the book because it's sort of like, yeah, his childhood and how he got there. And then there's a big section, as you say, on his career that yeah, is sort of going through different shoots he was doing, different celebrities. That's another area that I'm not really that tapped into is kind of celeb culture kind of stuff. And yeah, and there was um, a load of stuff about that, which I can imagine if you're into fashion is amazingly interesting. I didn't find it uninteresting, but it didn't really like pull me through, but just because it's not my world. However, yeah. you know, echoing what I said before, even though it's not a world that I actively engage in, I can fully see how things like the way he revolutionised British Vogue have impacted media in other senses have impacted culture in general and I do think that's really important and it was a nice thing for me I think to recognize that you know okay there's these bits of you know society of of culture of the world that I don't engage with but they're still really important and affect me and I'm so grateful for the waves that are made in them to help the waves everywhere else in the world as well as just it being helpful for those who do engage with that sphere so that I don't know that was just a big takeaway for me that even though this isn't necessarily a subject matter that I'm that involved in it was really good to learn about that um and yeah kind of see how big of an impact it's made and I think it was a nice balance in the book where he's quite clear about the fact of I did this you know I did make some waves I pushed this and so this happened but without it being braggy and boastful I never thought it came across that way I thought it was a really good balance of like frank you know I've made some good things I stuck to my mission statement and I'm really proud of that and other people are taking this mantle of making it even better and yeah I really like that about the book yeah so I, I just kind of want to build on the point that you kind of made about mm-hmm. the, you know the section where he's talking about various shoots so the book is quite name droppy I think yeah. he drops a lot of names a lot of them I hadn't heard of before and kind of when he was mentioning some, he was kind of like rattling off these list of names of people that are all involved in like this shoot or the other. And to me, sometimes that was a little bit like listening to someone recite vacuum cleaner serial numbers. <laughs> um, it was just kind of, like, I don't know who these people are, but he still manages to kind of draw you back in. So like, these people are important because of the roles they had here, <laughs> here and here. And that's why it's important to have them there and kind of like the effect they had on different areas of culture and stuff like that so yeah Mm -hmm. i I kind of agree with you there are sections where it is quite name droppy Mm -hmm. but even if you're not that interested or don't know much about that fashion he kind of he does a reasonable job of kind of bringing you in and making you kind of understand not necessarily making you care about you kind of but it makes you understand why he cares yes about that yeah yeah Yeah. i think that's very fair there was one i've come across my notes that i thought was quite funny and wondered if you agreed with because there was a bit where he goes if there's an opposite to calvin klein it's dolce and gabbana and i was like really (laughs) i didn't (laughs) i didn't know that yeah wouldn't have said that (laughs) to me they're both uh, high fashion-y brandy things so yeah, yeah so that amused me quite a bit um but yeah it just shows i guess how out of touch we are with that but i think it's quite interesting that even though this is not a world that we inhabit we still took a hell of a lot from this book and even from those sections of that book Um, because yeah like you say it shows how much he cares about it and things like that there was also um he talks about his relationship with alcohol and drugs and things like that and i thought it was quite interesting how he was saying how he took so much from going to aa uh, and the 12-step program and just in general but then also kind of later discovered that his relationship with alcohol doesn't clinically class him as alcoholic and yet he still had so much that he could take from this and that helped him create a healthy relationship with alcohol that potentially those that are clinically alcoholic wouldn't then have they would need to completely cut it out and i really liked that that brings up the discussion that like things don't have to be diagnosed or the most extremes or whatever's for you to still get benefit out of examining your relationship with something and going through sort of, you know, improvement on that way. Yeah, Yeah, going through process, exactly. Yeah, I just, it's kind of a small point, but I did like that, how it's like, you know, the general psychological help um, and just kind of, yeah, examining of your own, you know, kind of tendencies and what you rely on to get you through stuff emotionally 
even if it's not oh well that makes me a whatever and you know putting labels on it doesn't matter there's still stuff for everyone to gain from you know getting help in that sense or just giving yourself that help that space um, and considering about it that I thought was interesting yeah and yet important to remember you don't need that label before you can look at improving something in your life that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to bring up two or three criticisms I've got. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of commentary, current events. You know, he does make it quite relevant to the events that happened um, in his life, but I felt some of them were a little bit like on the nose, even though I agreed with a lot of the sentiments that he was expressing. I don't know how you felt about that. I think that. I possibly need an example. So I think one of the examples that he talks about is kind of the economic achievement of like people from black minority ethnic groups or you know he talks a lot about the George Floyd incident in the book and he kind of mentions police statistics you know the metropolitan police uh you know more likely to stop and search and he talks about his experience of stop and search and stuff like that as well and I felt while some of it was quite relevant I felt a little bit at some points it was a little bit on too much on the nose but right. I, yeah, I don't know yeah I don't know how you how you feel about that yeah I hadn't necessarily made that criticism myself I do think it is quite a timely book yeah um, yeah, I think kind of listening to it now and especially the latter ends of it. So the the first half about his childhood and then the kind of the middle part about his career, um, I think could be, you know, any time. Um, and obviously you understand the uh, context of it that it's in the past whenever you read it. But then, yeah, there is quite a lot of focus on in the latter bit on what's currently happening. So there's the lockdown um, there's George Floyd, um, there's related things to those and what's happening at the moment, which I thought was really important when he directly compared that with decisions he made as editor-in-chief of Vogue and how this connected with his whole mission statement with getting that job was about reflecting society in fashion, not having it being so you know distant from it that I thought was quite good and I guess that's what hammered home for me my idea of the book as a whole of seeing that impact that he's made in fashion but yeah I could see how that maybe in 10 years time will feel like an old book that it might date it slightly hopefully because a load of stuff will have improved loads but yeah in the focus of where we are in the current moment um I guess yeah that the latter stages do very much stick itself there yeah sure um then I found his voice initially quite annoying like I, I, it really like the first couple of chapters it really grated on me and it's like one of those books if I wasn't forced to listen to it for the podcast I probably would have stopped listening to it but there's something that happens in his tone and I can't explain mm. it in the third chapter where it became a, a lot more relatable to me right. kind of, I think so listening to a book is kind of quite an intimate experience you've got mm. someone's voice in your ears for you know eight ten twelve hours however long it's going to be and it needs to be an enjoyable experience and the best way that I could describe it the voice that I was listening to in the first two chapters is this is not someone that I want to hang out with right. like at, you know I wouldn't, wouldn't want to go for a drink with him or kind of cafe his personality just grated me in those first two chapters but then there's something that happens to his voice in the third chapter and I can't explain it's oh you know what I could actually chill with this guy and I can't explain what that change was so um and he's got quite a distinctive voice as well so and he for someone who's not that you know narrating an audiobook's not easy Mm -hmm, Um, and he does kind of give um props to his vocal coach at the end in, in the credits as well so I think he does perform the book quite well but my my experience uh, specifically you might need to get past those first couple of chapters before it kind of like you eat it kind of it gets better if that makes sense and it's not about the content it's just, i just found his voice really annoying in those first two chapters and i can't nail why it just maybe i found it a bit obnoxious i don't know yeah but that went away in the third chapter for some reason so yeah yeah interesting no I didn't have that I really quite like his voice and kind of voice in general his accent his way of speaking I really quite enjoyed it however I did go into this audiobook on 1.5 speed straight off partly just because of the turnaround time um, for us recording this so I was getting through it quicker and then part way through when I went to go and slow it down his voice felt really slow now obviously I'd been used to listening to it with 1.5 speed so I can't really give an objective description of whether I thought it was quite slow. It felt slow to me, but it felt natural at 1.5. So either that means 
I would recommend you go 1.5 or it just means I got used to 1.5. Yeah. But certainly I think if you listen to it and your criticism is that you think it's a bit slow, just speed it up and it sounds great. Yeah. um, yeah. Is what I would say. Certainly don't let that put you off listening to it. Audio quality on this was absolutely remarkable it was one of the best yeah really fantastic audio quality yeah though i think i did find a a missed edit in track four (laughs) yeah i think i know Um, which one you're talking about i think i made a note of that as well yeah 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 Yeah. um so yes but apart from that yes the overall listening quality was great and like i say i really like listening to his voice and i really like the fact in the audio that you do have you know his personal you know emotion come through it not quite in the same as some that we've had recently yeah. where they've been like you know you felt like a, a lump in the throat but there was some like laughing at stuff yeah. where he was being a bit sarcastic yeah. or where yeah. he was really silly to have thought of something the way he thought of it and it's like oh what a stupid thing to think kind of stuff and he laughs as he says it and i really liked that i think that was a good thing of having it told to me by him rather than uh reading it on the page or anything like that yeah yeah so i i, I quite liked it. have you got anything else you want to discuss um oh i think the only one other thing it sort of relates to how i really liked the description with his um talking about his mum is the little section where he properly talks about his relationship with alec um i really liked that i thought that was really loving and tender and yeah really warm i just liked that as a section so yeah it's a it's a book with lots of different um kind of tones in it and things like that but yeah it's got some really warm stuff about relationships it's got some kind of tough stuff about his own you know self-reflection it's got some tough stuff obviously about the state of the world particularly racism and just kind of othering in general but also really great how he made it such his mission to fight against that and how so much of that has been successful and how you can see so much of that in yeah fashion and also the world at large and i thought that was just really great so yeah. yeah, not something that I would normally be interested in, but something that I'm glad that I have uh, sat with and learned about, definitely. Yeah, I would probably echo those sentiments. Again, fashion, not my bag, never heard of Edward before. I'm glad that I listened to mm-hmm. story. It's really well written, really yeah. uh, well performed, apart from the first two chapters, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> um, yes, yeah, and it's definitely kind of worth checking out in terms of if you're interested in kind of race relations or fashion, mm-hmm. any of those um, types of things. So yeah, I, I can fully understand what it's got its place on the shortlist. Mm. Okay, cool. So uh, should we move on to Hannah Gadsby's book? Indeedy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So 10 Steps to Nanette, a memoir situation by Hannah Gadsby. Multi-award winning Hannah Gadsby transformed comedy with her show Nanette, even as she declared that she was quitting stand-up. Now she takes us through the defining moments in her life that led to the creation of Nanette and her powerful decision to tell the truth no matter the cost. Gadsby's unique stand-up special Nanette was a viral success that left audiences captivated by her blistering honesty and her ability to create both tension and laughter in a single moment. But while her worldwide fame might have looked like an overnight sensation, her path from open mic to the global stage was hard-fought and anything but linear. Ten Steps to Nanette traces Gadsby's growth as a queer person from Tasmania, where homosexuality was illegal until 1997, to her ever-evolving relationship with comedy, to her struggle with adult diagnosis of autism and ADHD, and finally to the backbone of Nanette, the renouncement of self-deprecation, the rejection of misogyny, and the moral significance of truth-telling. Equal parts harrowing and hilarious, Ten Steps to Nanette continues Gadsby's tradition of confounding expectations and norms properly introducing us to one of the most explosive formative voices of our time great so do you want to kind of lead off on the discussion sure. of this one yeah okay so the thing i'm going to start off with this and it's probably how i would tail end the recommendation anyway is that i wouldn't recommend you listen to this if you haven't watched nanette yeah, um, yeah but i yeah. would recommend that you go watch nanette and then listen to this and we'll discuss later but that is what i would recommend so i'd started listening to it and then there's a story at a awards show thing i think and people are talking about nanette around her and she gets asked to go and speak to jennifer aniston who tells her that she hasn't seen nanette and there's a sort of interesting thing about that and she talks about like what um ellen said when ellen was asked to comment on nanette and i was like right i need to stop this now and i need to watch nanette (laughs) um so i went and i opened netflix and jennifer aniston was the first thing that popped up on netflix for that new (laughs) murder mystery 2 film and i thought that was a bit weird um when i'd literally just heard her spoke about but yeah so i then watched nanette and i then came back and listened to this book and so i think this book is sort of in like three stages i think this sort of has hannah growing up and her childhood, teen, young adult, 
adult years, her getting into comedy, her life, like a whole load of her life, very memoir, right? And you can see obviously some of the stories in that came into Nanette, but it's not really massively focused on. And then you have the actual, like the build up to Nanette. So you have very specifically like how she was creating this stand-up show, what her mission statement was for it, um, the successes and failures of it. And then you have a section that's sort of like post-Nanette, but is still very much focused on the show and yeah, it's like a critical discussion of it, how it's pieced together and things like that. Yeah, you have the the past, you have, but with some stories that you might have found in Nanette, some like very direct to Nanette experiences and then the kind of dissection of Nanette afterwards is sort of the structure of it. And I really quite liked that. I enjoyed the memoir stuff going through it at the start. I enjoyed learning about her, uh, obviously some of it very tough, um, there's some tough experiences that she had as an individual, as well as she talks broadly about homosexuality, specifically in Tasmania and Australia, as well as the world, but how tough that was, how discriminatory and prejudiced and awful kind of things were in that sense, as well as yet yeah, the personal tragedies that she went through. A lot of difficult stuff, but a very interesting memoir I thought and then as someone who really enjoys stand-up as well as really enjoys the behind the scenes of how a piece of entertainment gets created I really enjoyed the peeling back of her creative process for the show she calls Nanette like she she refers to the show as a she um, and I really quite liked the relationship she clearly has with this show in that sense, I found that really interesting. And then, yeah, the kind of the afterwards stuff, the dissecting of it, also how it impacted her family, because obviously a lot of it's so personal. I did find that all really quite interesting. So, yeah, what did you think? So, unlike you, I did not watch Nanette. So, right. kind of, yeah, so I found it quite a frustrating listen uh-huh. at times. I think it's absolutely for you to kind of get the most out of this audiobook. I think it's absolutely essential that you go watch Nanette before yeah. you listen to this, because that for me, like anything that I read or anything that I listen to or anything I watch should be able to stand up on its own. If you see what I mean. And I don't think this, I don't, it's I, a I, weird I one. Yeah. It's I a weird of, because it, it sort of does, but it sort of doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're sort of tricked into thinking like this is a memoir and therefore it can stand on its own. But also I don't know why you're tricked into thinking that. I think the only reason you're tricked into thinking that is because we know as people what memoirs are. Yeah. Whereas this book is quite honest. 10 steps to Nanette. Yeah. <laughs> it does make it quite clear. This is a book about Nanette. But I think we tend to focus on the memoir bit and think, oh, it's a memoir of a person. And the reason Annette's in the title is because that's what she's known for. And so that's what people are going to go to. But actually, we're reading sort of behind the lines when actually, no, just take it at face value. It is about 10 steps to Nanette. It is the story behind this show. So it doesn't lie, even though we feel like we've been lied to, but it hasn't. It's been very honest. This is what it is. It is a book about Nanette. If you watched Nanette and you enjoyed it and you want to learn more about it, definitely. If you haven't, I recommend it just in itself and then think that you can get a lot from listening to this. But I can fully see that if you haven't watched it, then listening to this book doesn't work yeah. as, as well. It is yeah, very much centred on that. Yeah, I think uh, the best way I could describe it is, you know, you've heard of this game kind of where you, if an alien came down to Earth, how would you describe an elephant right. to it? Mm-hmm. And yeah. it felt a little bit like at that, like that at times mm. kind of, I could kind of see bits and pieces of what she was kind of referring to in the book, especially towards the end with the kind of the second half. Would you say the second half, the second, uh, the last third of the book is mostly about like Nanette yeah, kind of the exactly. procedure yeah, behind some, it. Yeah, yeah, somewhere between that those lines. Yeah, yeah, and the, you know the front two thirds are more about like her life and her experiences and stuff like that, kind of building up and some of the events that make it into the show and some of the things that make it into her stand up mm-hmm. as well. Um, one of the things, you know, I, I don't think we have mentioned there is quite a lot of triggering material. Yes, in this book, uh, in terms of you know sexual assault, homophobia. Mm-hmm. and kind of also the discussion around autism as well I think might be you know a little bit triggering for some people as well so I think we kind of danced around a little bit let's kind of start off with 
one of the interesting similarities I found between this book and uh, Edward's book was mm-hmm. how they both felt like fish out of water at certain points in their life. And kind of Hannah moves to this kind of quite rural area. I can't remember, was she born in that area? Or was she kind of like, did she move there with her? Yeah, parents? in Tasmania, I think, yeah, she was born in that um, Yeah, she was kind of, born in that, mm-hmm. kind of born in that town and she never feel, really felt at home in her family. She always felt like a little bit different. And then, you know, that's subsequently due to the fact that she's kind of, you know, she's autistic, she's got ADHD and she just physically looks different to a lot of uh, her peers. And that's one of the aspects of the book that I did kind of quite enjoy was how she discusses how her physical appearance impacts her life and how, you know, the way that Mm -hmm. she looks and how she uncomfortable she feels in her own body. She talked, you know, there's one section where she talks about kind of like her pale one of the things I did find extraordinary is how many times Hannah has had complete and total knee reconstructions. Yeah, I just gosh. felt it was just a flipping neck, man. To have mm-hmm. one of those as a kid is bad, but mm. she's, it sounded like she had it like, done like five or six times. So yeah, that, that, yeah. that was also kind of quite interesting. And I should I probably should. So at the time of recording, um, it's Ramadan in the UK. So I'm fasting at the moment. I've, found listening to Hannah's voice quite difficult to concentrate on in times whereas with Edward's book because his voice is so distinctive I was able to hook on words a little bit more with like Hannah's voice it's kind of usually it's a good thing to have like a melodic voice but I found it really difficult to concentrate how did you find her performance as as well I quite liked it and because obviously she is a professional performer and like voice performer you know although stand-up is you know and does have a visual element to it it is very much about the verbal storytelling um and I felt that came across quite uh, well in the book as well um so no I quite liked it and yeah I don't think had the same necessarily concentration thing i think i found more with edwards that i might drift off slightly but that was mainly in that very fashion name drop career section where it was just that my attention wasn't that much in it and maybe that's what it was maybe it it was the fact that the subject matter of hannah's was kind of regardless i was quite attentive to it but yeah i really did quite like her performance through it as well yeah okay and then I thought it was interesting what you'd said as well about the kind of, yeah, the self-image stuff, which is a big part of it. And one of the big things both in the net and in this book is talking about how, you know, she built quite a bit of a career on, you know, self-deprecating humour and kind of neglecting how genuinely harmful, not only for her, but also for anyone else who identifies with her, that was. <laughs> and so I think that was really good seeing that turning point that she had that was like, I'm not going to do that anymore i'm not going to basically bully myself on stage for other people's entertainment and also just she talks about her appearance in many different senses so she talks about her appearance in sense of like weight and size in sense of gender and yeah the different interplays with that the fact that no matter what she says as a stand-up the people watching her at least the majority can see her you know, and so no matter what she says, it's always put through that filter, which I thought was a very important thing to point out, you know, explicitly. And I think is a very important thing, you know, be it visual or be it other identity kind of features that you have of a person means that they can say the exact same thing as someone else and it you won't take it in the same way. That's quite interesting. And yeah, especially with her being so vulnerable in both the Shonen and in this book, that is important. And it's all these things about stereotypes and prejudices and stuff like that that already put something on you. There's an interesting thing. And that she sort of just came to like, I've sort of just got to ignore it. You know, there the kind of is no solution to this problem. I'm kind of just going to have to say what it is that I want to say. And if people are going to want to attach their own judgments because of what I look like, well then... I'm, I'm done catering to that kind of yeah. thing that I thought was interesting. And also just, yeah, there's been some stuff for myself personally that I've been thinking about kind of gender expression or that kind of masculinity, femininity spectrum that have been on my mind recently anyway. So it was kind of interesting listening to this. I'm not going to necessarily say how much was like, oh, I identify with that, but it was just, it was really interesting hearing someone talking about those kinds of things at the time when I was also thinking about how those kinds of things related to me um, that I found quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, one of the specific things I think Hannah mentions in the book is how 
because of the way she looks. I think that it kind of caused a lot of problems for her in terms of how other people perceived her, especially there's one sequence where she talks about when she's physically mm-hmm. assaulted and she, like the way she interprets that event is that it was basically, you know, if she'd been, you know, um, more feminine, with, like, yeah, more feminine yeah. then I don't want to mischaracterize what her words said, but my interpretation of what she was saying was that the person that attacked her felt friend because they felt that she looked wrong. Yeah. Or out of place and there's nothing that she can kind of like do about that really it's just you know so that is you know that was one of the things that i found i, I don't know if say interesting is the right word but it's mm. something that did make me think yeah quite a lot yeah as well it's also something that i found kind of interesting from my particular perspective i don't have that same issue or danger i've been so fortunate that i live in and have lived in such accepting spaces and it was just interesting that although I can identify in some ways or can see similarities in some ways it was also just a reminder of like how different my experience is anyway you know you sort of have that idea that oh people don't experience it they don't realize how bad it is because they're not part of the community for example right so they don't realize how bad the discrimination is but I also think there's a potential that people who are in the community but are in really accepting places, relationships, friendship groups, also don't quite realise how bad it is. Yeah. Um, And so that's something that's a bit of a wake-up call for me as well. Like, things are improving. Like, as we've said with Edward's stuff, the fact that in the last however many years, so much stuff has improved, right? And I think that is the same here, but it's not all fixed. And it was really interesting hearing about kind of, well, again, interesting the wrong word, but like my upbringing and my relationship with my sexuality so different to Hannah's in the fact that she talks a lot about um the yeah homophobia in that community and the shame and internalized shame that she felt about it unfortunately that's not something I've had to contend with I do still have my own you know story of how I discovered and came to terms with what my sexuality was but none of that was related to anything negative none of it was like a shame thing or that that would be a bad outcome or anything like that um so it's quite, I think it's it's the thing where it's important, it's eye-opening both for people outside of the community and for people in it that you can be sheltered to the sorts of issues that other people are yeah. going through and have been through and those different experiences and yeah, how rough stuff really is and that yeah, if you surround yourself with people who are, you know, all very accepting, you forget that a lot of people are surrounded by people who aren't. <laughs> yeah, um, so I mean... Yeah, just to kind of give a bit of background to that. So kind of Hannah grew up in rural Tasmania, kind of really small town. Kind of her dad was a teacher at the local school. And at the time she was growing up, where she was growing up, homophobia was kind of just accepted. And as you know, I could kind of understand that a little bit because even you know, when I was back when I was in high school, kind of like we still use, you know, one, one of the basic insults you'd be described as a bit, oh, that's a bit gay. Mm. But with her growing up, in that area and, and at that time was kind of quite damaging to her yeah. kind of she didn't really you know she wasn't because of her autism she wasn't really able to connect and make friends and I think that that does kind of like make me wonder just the confluences of all those different factors you know the fact that she's she's mm. a lesbian the fact that she has autism the fact that she has ADHD and she wasn't really able to up until later in life make connections with people that were able to outside her family circle to kind of help her deal with all the because that's a lot to deal with man it's a lot to deal with you know um that she wasn't able to find that support system until much kind of later on in life as uh, as well so yeah and it wasn't just i think it's worth as well explaining how it wasn't just like people would say mean things or whatever like it was a criminal offence to be gay and there was so much public rhetoric claiming that gay people were terrible criminals, horrible paedophiles apparently was the main connection and specifically kind of, you know, uh, the AIDS crisis. Again, this is across both books. It's not massively mentioned in Edwards, but he does bring it up how, yeah, they were really villainised during that time. And, you know, so this is a really, really horrible situation, not just kind of like, yeah, people being mean, which isn't nice, but this is, you know, political attacks on the the right for people to exist, basically, that was just really horrible. But also, 
yeah, like I was saying about that thing of how stuff's changed, I'm not saying all this stuff's fixed, but one thing that was really nice, again, statistics, but I thought this was a very good use of them, was that talking about the change between the support for decriminalising homosexuality and percentages and the percentages of people who were supportive of equal marriage i think there was something like you know there was a, there was a so many years gap and they redid this poll and it had you know massively increased in support of for equal marriage and i do think that is really good like it is so easy to get bogged down in all the hate and prejudice that there is around at the moment and it's you know accurate to be concerned about that but it was also really nice to see like tangible public opinion can change in a really relatively short space of time um, yeah. was still at least good to hear. Yeah. I, want, I do want to kind of talk about a couple of other things before I kind of get into my <laughs> yeah, yeah. major criticisms um, of, of the book. One of the things I found really fascinating was the section where she talked about how difficult she found it just to function as an adult. And I think mm. part of that is due to part of her personality type, but partly down to her autism, how she left her flat in a kind of a complete mess, how she wasn't able to file taxes, all those sorts of different kind of behavioral idiosyncrasies that she had um, kind of going on in terms of uh, when she was kind of left to her own and kind of her growing up, not being able to get like a regular job. I found that those sections kind of quite interesting. She's working as a, um, uh, a farm laborer before she kind of switched to stand up and even when she was kind of quite successful stand up she wasn't really looking after herself in terms of like, there's mm. that, a really disgusting section which she's talking about how messy her flat was and you know, having to seek support to kind of get on top of those sorts of things as well yeah i think it's quite a frank discussion about kind of like i guess like having a depressive episode yeah and the sorts of things like she was kind of talking about it of having worked one example of having worked super hard at the fringe and then kind of this kind of that thing of like your body keeps you going um when you have this and then just crashes and you can't do anything else and yeah i could really see in it how she was talking about just how hard it is to dig yourself out of that hole sometimes how hard it is to recognize you've even fallen into a hole and where you're struggling to look after yourself and also just the maybe the word is like more irritable or whatever she was talking about kind of her relationship with her partner and how she was snapping at her more or um well, she didn't realize she was snapping at her this is the thing i do think it was a really insightful look of like yeah how it can be hard when your brain is in this space and it's you know it's not remembering a time when you didn't feel like this um even though there have been times when you feel like this the whole point is that it can't remember them that yeah is is harrowing um but yeah yeah you mentioned kind of how much you got from the the section towards the end of the mm. book about kind of the fear to talk and yeah. I, I found that section quite interesting um as well you know, I've I have read a couple of like comedians also biographies and where mm -hmm. they go through kind of the process of how they kind of set up different sets. Was there anything specific about that section that kind of stood out to you? Because I felt the self-care sections that she was trying to protect herself mm. um, physically, emotionally, and all those sorts of things. I felt that was kind of quite an interesting section and it's not something I've read in other comedian autobiographies. Yeah, I get you. That was quite interesting. So that was kind of her talking about because she talks about, you know, traumas that she's gone through in Nanette, she wanted to protect herself you know she didn't want to trigger herself on stage um, and she wanted to be mindful of the other people in the audience as well that it might be triggering for but also wanted to make this impact with it and yeah that was quite interesting though I think the bits that intrigued me so much were the actual kind of like how she pieced the show together you know kind of order wise um, yeah. and the difficulty she had with figuring that out as well as that whole crafting of like where the tension comes and, and where it goes and it was really interesting as I said at the start with having that context of I watched Nanette I experienced Nanette also for me specifically because I went into it not knowing basically not knowing anything about it I knew the comment that it says at the front of the book because I said this is when I stopped listening about 
the kind of idea that it is unfunny and that people are claiming that it isn't stand-up necessarily. So I kind of knew that, but I didn't really know anything else going into it. And so that meant that I was fully taken on the ride for the experience that she wanted to create from it, the um, creation and alleviation of tension and then bringing it back in. And I was very much controlled by the show. And so hearing how she'd calculated that, I found really interesting. I also really liked her talking about the adaptation, in a sense, I sort of did little air quotes there, of this from a stage show to a Netflix special. Um, yeah. which I thought was fascinating, this idea of kind of like different camera angles and what they're traditionally used to replicate from the kind of live experience and the way she used them differently in the net that I really liked. I really found that technically quite interesting to see the kind of decisions behind it. That's what I always like is in this entertainment stuff. It's like, okay, this stuff has this impact on the audience, but the audience doesn't know that's what's happened. And I really like finding out those tips and tricks and the things that people put thought into that you didn't know they put thought into. You know, there's all those jokes about kind of, and I make them myself, about, you know, English teachers will be like, oh, and the blue curtains represent this. And the author's like, nah, they were just blue. Um, You know, and I, I love that as a joke. But I also think there's definite truth that there are some stuff that where if you'd said, oh, I think they were trying to do this with this, it'd be like, nah, I don't think so. But actually, yes, there's some tiny details that have been very meticulously planted there to affect the overall impression. So, yeah, learning all of that stuff as someone that, yeah, is just interested in entertainment and kind of storytelling in general, as well as being interested in stand-up and in TV and in live theatre versus filmed, was all really fascinating. And if you're interested in those bits, then watch Nanette first. Please, God, watch Nanette first. Yeah. But then come and listen to this because it is very yeah. interesting. Okay, cool. So I don't like to be overly critical of mm-hmm. books when we're becoming kind of reviewing them on here. You know, again, I kind of found it kind of frustrating experience, especially because it, it, this is a book about Nanette and you need to yeah. have seen Nanette, I think, to kind of get the most out of it. Mm-hmm. I found the writing quite annoying um, oh, really? at times. So, you know, you know we listened to uh, Rob Beckett, mm-hmm. um, you know, Joshua Wickham's book and when they're writing they put in kind of like these gags mm. in there about what's kind of like uh you know what's going on and then uh, hannah does a similar thing she's she writes something and then she'll kind of like put a bit of um a gag in there kind of a sarcastic statement or a play on words or mm-hmm. making a comment about something and for some reason with her writing it made me irrationally angry oh, no. I, can't, I can't i can't i i don't i can't explain it at all and it might just be because when I was listening to it, I was fasting and I maybe wasn't in the best yeah. mood. Or it might be due to the fact that I was frustrated with the book because I had not watched yeah. Nanette. I think that might have also fed into it slightly as well. And as a result, I've really struggled to engage with the narration as as I didn't engage with it on the level that I, I wanted to because I was quite looking forward to listening to this. Um, yeah. Because even though I'd, I'd not watched in the net, I'd heard kind of good things about it. Mm-hmm. So I found that quite frustrating, quite disappointing that. And it wasn't like her, you know, the gags that she was making were any worse or any better than the gags <laughs> that were in Parenting Hell. But for some reason, they they made me irrationally angry. And I said, I don't want to listen to your gags. Just get on and telling the story. That's what I wanted. So yeah, I don't know why why that was and that's very much that's a, a, a me yeah uh, a me thing how did you feel about like the general quality of the writing in terms of like the gags and stuff like that yeah so i really didn't mind them i didn't make there a is note quite of a lot of them yeah, yeah. I feel there, there are quite a lot of them i didn't I make a note you. of it specifically but i think i quite liked it i quite enjoyed it as she was going through it and i liked that she was making some humor in the writing i didn't necessarily feel that they were like oh and i've put a joke here and you know kind of like out of a cracker joke kind of i didn't feel like it felt like that i just yeah i quite enjoyed it um i think maybe the interesting thing with comparing it with like Robin Josh's is like we discussed there was a lot of them because they did the cutaways like while yeah. they were recording they commented on their own jokes I think that's a sense where if maybe you would have taken it as cheesy and annoying the fact that they like 
self-deprecatingly, yeah. I guess, or or in other ways, kind of overly bigging themselves up about it when yeah. they were laughing with each other. That maybe takes away from it because it was so like self-aware yeah. that oh, I made a joke there. Um, whereas I guess if you're just doing a solo recording and you're doing a solo just as it's written in the yeah. book, or I guess if you were reading the book, um, it doesn't have that kind of yeah self-criticism yeah. on it. Or yeah, I think one of the things. I've- and it's just occurred to me now is I've just felt that she felt that she was really clever when she made and that yeah and that kind of maybe another reason why it wind wound me up the the wrong yeah. wrong way yeah I um, hadn't thought that and I think maybe as I'm saying I think maybe that's the impression we might have got had we not had the commentary in Robin Josh's you yeah, know? yeah it might have felt a bit like that so yeah I would give more the benefit of the doubt I didn't get that impression and. Yeah, it, it didn't upset me in that way. Yeah. And you, you might be right. It might be because of your frustration with the book as a whole, because it is so focused on the net. And yeah, I think it's a shame that you had the negative experience of yeah. it. And it might be that you just wouldn't have got on with it anyway. But I do yeah. think that it's a shame that, yeah, you yeah, didn't yeah, have that wider context really, yeah. to um, to do it. Other things that I did really like about her performance of it is that I really liked the impression she did of, of her, mom, her yeah, family, yeah, pers- yeah. specifically her mum, yeah. Like a very distinctive voice change, and I really liked that. I thought that was really good and certainly added something that reading it off a page doesn't give you. That, yeah, they were really, really funny. Other added thing is that you did have some uh, recordings clips, from Nanette, yeah, yeah. yeah, in there. Given that I watched it and then listened like instantly, I think I could recognise some differences. I don't think these are from the Netflix. I think these yeah. are from a different performance of the show. Um, but equally, I think that's amazing. I don't know if, you know, the print has some written bits from it in there or if they're just completely additions for the audio. But regardless, I quite liked it. I quite like that it was cut away. Obviously, the audio quality is different, but it's going to be, right? Um, because it's a completely different thing it's it's spliced in but i quite liked it i liked that you hear the audience reaction you know you hear laughs or, or you reacting. can hear the silence yeah. exactly yeah. i did quite like that they were added in there so yeah that's a, a plus point in the audio column definitely and yeah you know we're talking about the shortlist because they are the audiobook nonfiction category and i think those are important things to consider but yeah i liked the performance in, in general the impressions definitely and yeah that other added bit of the audio as well yeah i didn't i really didn't get on with this um is one of those books that i and this is the other thing that really annoyed there's a um there's like a little short story that she tells at the end of the book mm. and i just thought what what are you going on about what what is what is this yeah, what is so this? it was it yeah. was from the, the way that she'd opened it, isn't it? Yeah. In the very memoiry sense, you know, she yeah. sort of opened it with, "I wrote this short story when was when I was a kid," yeah. and sort of describes some stuff about it in a very abstracted sense. And then at the end, you get the actual story. And I thought that was quite interesting. How you, yeah, you get this abstracted. I wrote this sort of strange story as a kid that said some weird things about my psyche at the time. And you're like, okay. And then you go through her entire life story up to date, and then you go back and hear that. And I thought that was quite interesting because you yeah. then kind of, I guess you maybe you draw some connections with, you know, the stuff that she's experienced or the stuff that she was just feeling or her personality that were put into this story as a child. Yeah. And I think it's a fascinating thing in general is, yeah, the imagination of children and also just the the stories you come up with as a kid. Um, yeah, I yeah, I just, yeah. I just really... You didn't get on with I just, it. <laughs> I, I, I didn't get on with it. I didn't really like it. And you know, it's a shame because I don't really like slagging books off but that for me if you are going to listen to this i think it's imperative it's essential that you listen you um watch nanette definitely first don't try it yeah Mm -hmm. i just otherwise i think the thing is she says kind of lots of interesting things in the book about art and perception and uh stuff like that but because it's scaffolded to nanette it's really hard to kind of get i found that for me personally i found it hard to kind of like get a grip on any of the other things that she was saying so yes that for me this is maybe i'll go and watch the net and kind of the audiobook will make more sense now but yeah like if you're not watching the net i'd I'd give this one a skip for me yeah yeah but i would i would change it slightly like i said at the start i would say i recommend you go watch the net anyway and then i recommend you come and listen to this because i do think both are really interesting really important cover some really important topics and both are entertaining you know not in the same kind of you know rompy humorous laughter entertaining but you know there's definite entertainment out of there as well as you know yeah important points on a on a deeper level of of just yeah 
making important statements. So yeah, I would recommend the net in general, though obviously that's not what we're reviewing here, but we're kind of putting at the baseline of you should watch the net. And then if we take the assumption that you have, then I would recommend listening to this. And I think you'll find a lot that's really interesting in it. But yeah, definitely don't just go straight into this without knowing Nanette. Yeah. And then it's not necessarily a criticism of the book that it, you know, assumes you know Nanette. I think it has to. And I think, yeah, it's take it at face value. It says it's 10 steps in Nanette. It is about Nanette. You know, it's not Hannah Gadsby's memoir. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. guess so. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so I think that's our, our discussion of those two books. So the next, well, the final two books, I should say, on the short list are A Pocket Full of Happiness by Richard E. Grant, and it's read and narrated by the author, and uh, Friends, Lovers, and The Big Terrible Thing, written and narrated by Matthew Perry. That episode will be out in a couple of weeks' time. So again, once again, uh, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Please continue to support the podcast by subscribing, leaving feedback uh, on the episode wherever you've listened to it on. Uh, If you want to throw us a tip, you can put a tip in the tip jar. And if you want to send us any feedback, you can contact us on social media at audiobookishpod. That's on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Or you can email audiobookishpod at gmail.com. Dot com. Any closing thoughts? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, cool. Thanks so much, guys. See you next okay, time. Okay, then. See you next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye.